What we're going to do now is I'm going to talk to two women uh, who have two very different perspectives on the upcoming proposed changes to the Constitution. Like all of us, they both bring their own stories and their own life experiences to their opinions on this. On this. Um, so as you know, on the 8th of March, we will vote on two amendments to the Constitution, right? So the 39th Amendment uh, would change the definition of a family to explicitly include durable relationships outside of marriage. And then the 40th Amendment would remove references to a woman's life and her duties within the home and replace it with a recognition of the provision of care within families. So I'm going to talk to Maria Steen shortly, but first, Dr. Katrina O'Sullivan of the Department of Psychology in Maynooth University. Good morning. Hi there, how are you? So, Katrina, you decided to come out and support a yes-yes vote in in these referendums. So, look, we'll start with some context. Some people will know your story, your memoir, Poor, of course, a huge bestseller. So, um, your family of origin, quite a difficult situation and and far from typical. Would you tell me first a bit about your upbringing? Yeah, so I grew up in extreme poverty, what I like to call poor, poor, uh, social welfare dependent family, two addict parents, heroin addict parents, significant trauma in my childhood and um I you know my story has been told far and wide now at this point but through a series of wonderful people and um wonderful state intervention and supports including social welfare and all these things I was able to find my way into Trinity College and now I'm a university professor but uh, yeah my my start in life was really tough and I um struggled an awful lot just to survive day to day as a child let alone flourish in the way I have today. How old were you when you became a mother yourself? I was 15 when I got pregnant and I gave birth to my son, John, when I was 16. Um, uh, yeah, so I was I was really young, a really young mother. Um, and a single mother. And a single mother from the beginning, um, living in homeless services. So, uh, yeah. Um, and I suppose, uh, you know, at that age, I was just surviving. Like, I had no concept of how I was perceived. I actually did. You know, way back in the the nineties, there was a there was a newspaper story that referred to to young women getting pregnant on purpose because they wanted to get council flats. To be to be really clear, I wish I was that strategic. It wasn't a strategic decision; it was an accident. And um, my son is a beautiful person, but it wasn't a strategic decision. Yeah, so I wasn't conscious. I wasn't even conscious then of state or services or anything or how I was viewed. It was mm. survival. Uh, mode for me and actually you know for the first 12 years of my son's life it it was survival mode as a a lone parent like living on my own in Dublin one on on social welfare trying to get by. So how then does all that impact on your view of if we start with the 39th amendment which is around the definition of a family? Like Brendan when I was driving in this morning and I'm going to find it hard to hold my emotions in this conversation to, to my family, my beautiful boy and me have never been recognised by the state as a family. Like, I dedicate my life to him, like, and him to me. We struggled to survive and get through. And I have been aware of the arguments against this change. And it's it hurts me as a, as a family, as a woman, as a mother, to the suggestion that my family is less valuable or less importance than a family that's based on marriage and like to be fair like the the constitution this particular 
uh, part of the constitution was decided in a time in Ireland where like religion dominated and marriage was really really important we've got to contextualize that how we live now 40 percent of families are not married 40 percent of parents are cohabiting they're not 18 percent of of families are lone parent families. So as it currently stands, this the constitution doesn't accurately represent the people. But from a personal point of view, it hurts me to know that the state doesn't consider me and my son and his brothers now a, a complete family. So, okay, just a f- few questions. Presumably you and John enjoy the legal rights of a family, yes? The legal rights of a family, yeah, but uh, I think of it more in terms of, like, stigma and socialisation. So not only do I come from a family, like, I, my own family is, uh, uh, I, had a, I was a lone parent, but my dad was actually born illegitimate in this country and was, was in a home, was, was adopted through illegitimacy. Like, if we go back two generations, like, women like myself were severely stigmatised for not being married. There's a massive history in this country around, like, unmarried mothers that has, has transcended all the way on to us and to people like me. Is that stigma not gone? Like, I mean, illegitimacy no. is long gone as a notion in this country but and even as a word now. Brendan, when you're a lone parent and you're getting up every single day and you're having to fight for the equal things that pe- families, other families have in terms of like like access to, to benefits, access to childcare rights, there is definitely a perception that women who are parenting on their own made bad choices, that somehow we couldn't keep a man, that somehow we couldn't be married. These are the things that I would experience and view. And these... These ideas about lone parents, especially lone parents in poverty like me, most parents, lone parents are in poverty, but lone parents in poverty like me, who are social welfare dependent, there's this perception that we, we made bad choices. We're not as good as. And I think like that needs to be rectified. And the Constitution is a place for us to actually not only rectify that, but also celebrate all types of families. Like my family is as good as any family that is based on marriage right now. So I, I personally think like it's not it's not even about the legal the legal rights. It's more about like stigma and socialization and acceptance and, and celebration. And how will the insertion of a of a durable relationship as well into the constitution? How will that rectify all that for you? I, I think when people talk about durable, like when people are I cannot understand anybody who's arguing no for this change. I the idea of the I think it's a red herring when people say what is durable. It would be the same if the wording was long term. People would say, well, what is a long term relationship? We all know what a durable relationship is, Brendan. Like if you're in a couple and the two of you are invited to a wedding together, you're you know, it's it's recognized as as you're in a durable relationship. I think it's a bit of a red heading to talk about the the actual term durable. I don't think there's any See, ideal I'm term. Not sure, we do know. Like if you invite people you can invite people as a couple to a wedding yeah and they might not be together six months later like particularly if it's a young wedding and young well, couples and stuff <laughs> Brendan how many I think it's 50% of marriages end in divorce at the end of the day who's to say that a marriage is durable and a marriage is long term like most people I know now lots of marriages end in in divorce like there's no there's no proof that like marriage is any more safe or secure than people who are together for a year or six months the reality is the term durable that we need a new term we need to remove the idea that marriage is the basis of family and so we have to find a term that is interpreted 
interpretable enough yeah. for us to be able to be protective and make sure that those of us, the 18% of lone parent families, feel included. And the is tr- durable relationship, is recognition of durable relationships going to do that? I think it will. I think I, I don't know. Like, I'm not I'm not a lawyer. Yeah. Like, I don't have that expertise. I, I'm, I'm a woman who struggled to raise my child on her own and is in a country that actually has this stigmatizing language about my family and doesn't recognize it. And so, like, this is my okay. standpoint. I don't know what the ideal language is, but I know the idea that marriage connect the connection with marriage and family should be changed and removed because forget about lone parents which i i'm advocating for like cohabiting families they don't have the same rights as married couples as it stands they don't have they they don't have the same rights in terms of property inheritance you know there's so much difference even if say for example my child i have a child with my partner i i get guardianship immediately if i was married my husband would too but if i'm not married he has to apply for guardianship there's so much complication right now when we put everything around marriage and i yeah, like people would argue though if you want the state to recognize your relationship we have a way of doing that it's called marriage and that will give you all the rights you want it doesn't need to be a religious marriage but it is a civic way of getting all those rights yeah of course they would argue that but like who is to say well what about the lone parents who don't have anyone to marry like i couldn't make my ex-partner marry me he didn't want to marry me at the end of the day so the fact that he decided that he didn't want to be with me that he left and didn't support our family that means that i'm not recognized as a family all of that i've invested in my child in my home that's just not recognised because some man decided he didn't want to marry me. Like, I think we have to take these arguments beyond just the fact that, well, if you want to be a family, you should be married. And the truth is, we've only just introduced legislation recently where some couples can get married. So, like, you know, basing this argument on the fact that, oh, you know, marriage is the central theme, I just think that has religious connotations to it. And actually, it doesn't it doesn't actually recognise the voters. Like, who is out there? Society now. Lots of couples choose not to get married and have children. And I think we should be saying, yeah, they're still families. So then you subsequently did marry your husband, yeah. Dave, right? So then you had two... More sons. M- more sons with Dave. Yeah. Are you, are, are you and John and the two new boys no. and Dave, are you recognised as a... No. F- no. No. My grandson... My beautiful grandson, who we love and adore. This is John's son, John's your, son. your first He's son. not in our family. So literally, we're not... I've got like two... I've got one, two children and my husband, and we're recognised as a family, as a state. And then I've John and his son and his partner, who are not married, and they're not recognised as a family. We all live together in the same home. We love each other. We pay bills together. We do everything that the married couple that lives next door does, that has three children. And yet, by in terms of the constitution, we're not re- we're not recognised. And and D- Dave, I presume, was a father to John in. The whole in real way, terms. the whole way up, and like that is so also so important. Like, so would Dave I, have had to adopt John? Yes. Is it if yeah, okay, he, and we'd have had to try and find his dad wherever he is, who had no interest to get his permission for that adoption to happen. You know, Brendan, can I just give you an example of the shame of it? Right, John and uh, John never wanted anyone to know that Dave wasn't his dad. Like. There is a shame around being a lone parent and being raised in a lone parent family that's perpetuated through our society. So how old is John now? John is 30 now. But as a so young, he's of a new generation, young and young, everything, yeah, and but you say he still feels that. He didn't want to have to explain the complication of that. He wanted people to look at our family and say, Dave is his dad and we're a family. And at the end of the day, 
I think that's really sad. That's sad for my family. That, like, my son feels shame. And that shame, it comes from the structures that we have within society. It also comes from lack of understanding in people. But the Constitution shouldn't be perpetuating stigma. It shouldn't be harming people. It should be being inclusive. And the truth is, we have a diverse a diverse population now. We, everybody isn't getting married. When the constitution came was was made, they were. It, we were being forced to be married. Now we're not. Forty percent of people are not married. Are, are are not married. So what I'm what I'm getting from you is that a lot of this is about uh, symbols of of how yeah. how they they I suppose the document that we base everything on is sees you and your family and everything. Apart from that kind of principle of the matter and the feelings about it has the current definition of the family in the constitution made any practical differences to say to you and john or to your family i don't think it's made difference to us but i think it's made difference to other families for example there was a case recently taken where a father uh, his wife died and he had to go and get the the uh, widower's pension uh, he had to be he wasn't recognised as a widower so like there, for yeah, me this legally, is the O'Mara case but like uh, Brendan like le- legislation and the constitution are two different things legislation comes and goes with governments it can be easily changed the constitution requires society to actually vote on it for people to actually come in and say this is what we believe so I think fundamentally the constitution should accurately represent society and should accurately accurately represent and be protective of the structures within society more than legislation because the constitution is the hardest thing to change we could have a government shift next year or the year after it could be very much more conservative or much more focused on or much more liberal and it could change legislation in lots of different ways but if we have a constitution that protects families and protects certain structures or recognizes diverse families then it will be much harder for things to be changed and for legislation to affect us so if that family referendum uh, didn't pass, what would that mean for you? Honestly, I don't, I feel, I can't express to you how hard it is to see people comment publicly about my family and say that we don't want to recognise your family as a family. Like I've spoke personally about my own journey in life and I'm happy to talk about that. But like, I don't, it, I worked really hard to love and care for my child for the state. I actually, you know, served my my home. I did all I can. And the idea that this the state or there's people in this country who think that my me and my child are not a family hurts me deeply. I don't, you know, legislatively, all the other things. In terms of personal, it will hurt me as a person and it will hurt a lot of women who are raising children on their own and they're the people that I'm speaking for cohabiting families I also advocate for them but in terms of the 18% of lone parents who are out there struggling day to day having the nation recognise us as families is a really really important step Okay and I can see that that is that does mean a lot to you um, just before we move on to the women in the home slash care referendum uh just a text there to say that 50% divorce rate is not an Irish statistic and that, that is right. But um, okay, That's because it takes so long to get divorced in Ireland, Brendan. Yeah, well look, <laughs> anyway, let's just leave that uh, as it is. Now, the women in the home, uh, this care referendum, mm. um, why do you support that? Okay, I, my job 
my job is I run a programme called uh, the STEM Passport for Inclusion. And the aim of that job is to ensure that young women who are in our education system currently realise that they can be anything that they want to be. Because as it stands, we don't have women. Girls don't become scientists, technologists, engineers, mathematicians. And one of the reasons is because we have this socialization process that women are nurturing and women are caring. Yeah, and we are we are working on it in fairness and there is a push to get women more women into STEM. That's what are, I yeah. yeah, my my you know, my program's funded by the state to change that. But the truth is we're funding programs that are trying to change the way women see themselves, change the jobs they do, change the roles they play, move them from the nurturing professions and actually move men more into them nurturing professions. Before this job, I ran a program called Turn to Teaching was about actually trying to get men to think about becoming teachers. So the truth is we have a system and a society that socialises young women into particular roles and the roles that are they're socialised in is into nurturing roles. And so the And so the constitutional language personally for me, actually advocates for women being nurturing and carers. And like, I'm not saying women are not nurturing and carers, but I, I don't think we should be having uh, language in our, in our constitution that reinforces stereotypes of what a woman's role should be. And a woman's role isn't just caring. It, there's so much more to that. Okay. I'd have two questions on that. Yeah. Is the constitution, do you think, in reality, holding any... Uh, women or girls back from doing what they want to do in in the 21st century Ireland? I think, Brendan, when it's easy for a man to say that. I'm not being oh, bad. OK, I'm going to say this to you <laughs> personally. Yeah. But like it, you, you've got to you've got to try. OK, so we, we have to fix things in lots of areas. There's this concept called a leaky pipeline where girls leak out of, of like male oriented roles in loads of places. Right. Okay. So like if you think about it, in primary school, we get taught certain things about what a boy is and what a girl is and what roles they should play. Secondary school, the subjects we get offered in school reinforces that. Then you've got the motherhood issue where when women have babies. So you have a whole system of society that reinforces gender, gender norms and stereo, gender stereotypes around nurturing and around duties of care okay and during and it, along that line of the leaky pipeline women are being told all the time you should be the carer you should be the primary carer nurturing is your role but what overpins that is our society and our language and our structure and the constitution fundamentally is that I'm not saying there's any girl that wakes up and goes oh well the constitution's telling me that I should be (laughs) at home with my children but the truth is there shouldn't be any language especially in our constitution that reinforces gender stereotypes and for me this does and it's not not just about the gender stereotypes it's also about like who's not recognized brendan i'm not that nurturing <laughs> like i like i work full time like my husband does the majority of the caring in our home like what women are saying like so then that brings me to the other question i had if that article was degendered yes instead of being removed and if it had recognized a, a parent a parent in the home mm-hmm. and that the state would strive to support a parent being in the home and not make a, a, an economic necessity for them not to be there. OK, the problem with the parent is, is that there's lots and lots of families, kinship 
care families there's lots of families and children that are cared for for non-parents like I I know I fostered my nephew for for years I wasn't his parents uh, so it would actually then still stigmatize kinship care grandparent care lots of care that happens in the home that doesn't um that isn't recognized currently so uh, you know I recognise the language is an ideal. If I'd have had the choice, I would have gone with what was recommended uh, by the Citizens' Assembly. But that's not what we have. And I this think was care in general, not including the notion of family in it. Is that right? Yes, but uh, yeah. So I think pers- But but we need to. We need to. It's small steps, Brendan. You know, we had a, a referendum around. You know, we've had referendum on, around other things that I haven't a hundred percent agreed with the language. But I definitely agree here that we need to first of all be inclusive of other carers and secondly remove bias so the bias around the woman's duties is just is just is a stereotype that needs to be changed and Brendan I just wanted to speak to the women who do stay at home and care for their children like I, I this will not affect them women they will not lose any rights they will not lose any payments they will not lose any legal rights it will not affect families who or women who decide that they still want to be at home and care it, it's just more inclusive and it will recognize say for example men who do the caring who don't stay at home kinship carers so I think it's it's broadly there's misconceptions around what this is we're not trying to remove women women are, like I am I would never advocate for anything that would harm women I'm a feminist at heart and I, and I would never advocate for anything that was any way harmful but I do think the perpetuation of the idea that women are responsible for the duties of care in, our, in the language needs to be changed okay Dr. Katrina O'Sullivan, thank you very much.